Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like COSO 2013, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, internal auditing, and related topics. Today's interview, which I'm super excited about, is with Anthony Smith. Anthony currently leads the audit and compliance department for Mitsubishi Electric Power Products and has 14 years of audit experience under his belt. He spent nine years in the internal audit group at PricewaterhouseCoopers where he worked with various Fortune 500 companies. In 2009, he was hired by Mitsubishi Electric Power Products to create and develop their audit and compliance department. Anthony is a certified public accountant in Pennsylvania and recently authored an article entitled Requests for Information, published in the April 2014 issue of the Internal Auditor magazine. Welcome, Anthony. It's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, I wanted to get started a little bit about the article in and of itself. So can you share with our listeners what inspired you to write this article? Sure. Requesting information seems to be one of those areas of audit planning that's often overlooked when considering how to improve the uh, efficiency and effectiveness of an audit. It typically is delegated down to a a low-level staff member, and it's really not something that's thought about until it comes around to the start of field work and you realize you don't have uh, a lot of the information that you need to actually start field work. Um, but it, it's one of those areas where it's actually your first contact with the auditee and can really set the tone for the audit. And it's really worth spending the extra time to, to get this step right. Uh, in my article, I talk about a better approach to requesting information that improves efficiency and the effectiveness of the audit and really uh, enables questions to get answered faster and it also enables uh, you to build a better relationship uh, you know with folks in the business yeah and and I often see um, like you stated earlier that that request is typically done at the lower level staff um, positions it's kind of like here's the audit objective or the goal, here's what uh, the activity we're going to be, you know, needing or the evidence that we need to collect, and then we make a big assumption. The staff actually knows how to craft the language that's appropriate to meet that core objective, and then you get into fieldwork testing, and then people are like, well, what about this, what about that, um, in order to gather, you know, substantial evidence. And it it is. I mean, it, let's say 80% of it's pretty much accurate or complete, but then you've got this missing gap where you could be annoying other people when they say, well, why wasn't that requested in the beginning? You follow, or, uh, you know, why are you coming back to me for something that you should have thought about, I don't know, in the planning stage of the project? So I, I enjoyed the article because it was, um, I know it was in the section calling, uh, I think it was called Back to Basics in, in that um, area of the, of the IIA magazine. And it's a good refresher because often we get so complacent and then we forget about some of those best practice items that we should be thinking about, even if it is delegated to to our staff. And I wanted to hone in on, on another 
point, which is kind of a hot issue um, this year uh, in particular about transitioning to the new COSO framework. And I know you discussed in the article about, you know, the re request of information, you know, from your auditee or your client can impact the quality of the audit. But can you share with our audience some, some of the tips when you're requesting information, for example, if, if you need more documentation, um, let's say if you're transitioning to the new COSO framework. Yeah, whether you're transitioning to COSO 2013 or performing any other type of audit, I mean, there, there are a few things that you should consider. Uh, one, uh, one thing I did suggest in the article is, is utilizing more of those face-to-face -face type of meetings uh, in order to improve uh, the, the efficiency and the effectiveness. Uh, one of the things with COSO 2013 is, is the big thing is, you know, you need to validate that the control is not only present but functioning. And so in order to do that, you need to request a lot more information than maybe you previously did. So if you do it in a face-to-face -face meeting, you're, you're going to do a couple things. Uh, one, people seem to view meetings a little more positively than they do an email request that simply just adds to their to-do list. And, and, and we've actually we implemented this about a year ago, this, this process that I wrote about and we're talking about today. And we're surprised by a lot of the, uh, the results, but people seem to be much more willing to spend 30 minutes with you up front than you know you spending 30 minutes later on sending follow-up emails and almost nagging you know the auditees to get the information to you, and so those face-to-face -face meetings have really been critical and crucial to you know getting good information. But you also learn a lot more about that particular area um, than you otherwise would have in an email exchange. Uh, the second tip that I'll mention is, you know, make sure that you are, are you know, getting the, uh, making the, the right request. You know, I, I've, you know, I almost hate to say it, but I've, I've had too many experiences in the past where you actually request the wrong information and, you know, you, you go in and, uh, you know, you make your request and, and it's not exactly the way you thought it was. Um, the benefit of these face-to-face -face meetings, it, it, it eliminates a lot of that, and you're able to make some of these changes real-time, uh, you know, opposed to having to send in a, an apologizing email later on. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, one of the other, I guess the last tip I'll, I'll mention here is make sure you know what you're requesting. Uh, you need to have a solid understanding of not only the audit step, but the audit objective and the associated risks. You know, it's not uncommon to walk into a, one of these meetings and just get thrown a curveball, which makes your original request irrelevant. But if you know the audit objective and the risk, you can make that change on the fly and, and get back on track without too much delay. Yeah, I, I've often asked our staff, like, see last year's work papers as a clue, but I want you to be able to answer the question, what does this answer? What question does this answer? So if it's a purchase order, I mean, what what question are we trying to answer here related to the risk or the, the control objective, et cetera. And, and it gets them in a problem-solving mode where they, they, they're thinking about the goal of what that evidence is trying to achieve. You follow? So, I mean, it's just another pattern or another, another viewpoint to take uh, away. But you're right. What, what is it that you are requesting? And then if you do have prior work papers, I've noticed that people sometimes just copy and paste and they aren't thinking about the actual situation or the actual goal. And when you ask them, like, okay, well, what, what does this really tell us? You know, I mean, and it, you, I'm not trying to put people, you know, on the hot seat, but 
you know, it's getting them to think critically to say, is this even the right information to answer the, the question that we need to get, a, you know, answered? So it, it makes them think rather than just assume this is just the proper way to get the information and just let's copy and paste what we did last year. And I, and I love the, the better versus the traditional approach, which I wanted to get into. Can you share with us, you know, the better approach to requesting information versus the uh, traditional approach? Yes. So the traditional approach, at least in my experience, is you know you send out a PBC list or document request list, and and you basically sit around, wait for the uh, the due dates to go past, and then you start you know making phone calls and sending voicemails, and finally you use the last resort, you kind of go knock on their office door and and, and force them and twist their arm and take give them the information you need so you can you know just start your field work. But you know, that kind of I mean, like I said earlier, that really sets the tone for the whole audit because it's basically your first contact. So, you know, it's really kind of a bad approach, because uh, that's the first time you're dealing with them, is to take, uh, you know, to take that kind of arm-twisting approach. So the, the method, or the, uh, the better approach that I suggest in my article, is to, you know, just initially schedule a meeting up front with them. You know, it's only going to take 30 minutes of your time. It sounds like it's really going to be a time-consuming process, but it's really, the benefits are really uh, worth it. Um, so basically, you just you schedule a meeting, meet with them, describe what you're looking for, describe what you're trying to do. And we found that, you know, if you do that, it really, the auditee really has kind of a, a better um, sense of really what you're doing and really kind of appreciates that, that extra, uh, you know, uh, background information on, on what it is you're looking for. Um, some of the other key benefits that we've seen, um, you know, if you – do make a, a bad request. You know, we, I think we've all been in a situation where you know, maybe you request something like the vendor setup form from the AR manager when it really should have been requested from the AP manager. You, know, you, know, you can kind of make those changes uh, you know, kind of in, in real time um, opposed to having to kind of you know, wait, for, wait a week for them to identify that it was a bad request, send it back to you, and then you send it back and had to wait another week for them to look at it again. You know, it's just a much more time uh, or more efficient process to do it that way. The other thing is you really gain a better understanding of the process when you're sitting there talking to the person about what it is you're requesting. Just last week, we actually uh, had, had a good experience that kind of illustrates this. Is we were sitting with one of our group controllers and we're discussing one of our internal controls. And this controller had been in, a, in place for a couple of years. And he really, we were sitting down with him just talking about it. And he's like, he's like, you know, guys, he's like, this is really a lousy control. He's like, you know, yes, it, it works and it kind of meets it, but it's really just, a, you know, kind of a lousy control. There's a better control, kind of later on, or, or actually earlier in the process that I think would meet and, and would really address the risk better. And we looked into it, and he was absolutely right. But if we didn't have that conversation with him, because the control was, in fact, operating fine, we would have never really you know, taken that second look at it. So it was good for us to, to, to sit with him and for him to basically give us his opinion on what he thought the control uh, was doing, which is not something we typically would, you know, would have asked him. But since we were sitting there, you know, he, he felt he could express his opinion to us. Uh, the other thing that we like about these meetings is typically at the end of the meeting, you know, after we've already made a request and they've given us the information, 
about you know where it's located or, or what we can look at or, or just handed it to us, you know we tend to ask some questions. You know like how's how's business going? You know how are sales? Or you know how's the new you know software you just implemented? Or how's the new quality manager working out? And by doing that, we just gain. Well, it may not relate exactly to the audit we're doing at the time. You know, it gives us some additional background information uh, about the business, and it may, you know, something may pop up where we kind of make a note. It's, oh, we want to look into this later. You know, so it just gives us that, that extra information. But the the most important thing I like about this this new approach is it really helps us build stronger relationships with folks, uh, you know, in the businesses. And that's what really uh, helps improve audit planning is knowing this additional information, uh, you know, because we have these relationships. It, it's, I would say, you know, a couple times a week, somebody from the business calls me up and asks my opinion on something, whether it be a, a compliance topic or, or you know, something, um, you know, audit related. They just ask my opinion on something because they know, you know, that, you know, I have a relationship with them. They can call me up. They can ask me a question and, you know, they can they can do the right thing from the start opposed to me having to come back and identifying it later on during an audit. It sounds like it's it's this better approach obviously is more proactive, but it's also kind of being human in the sense that you're not saying uh, to the auditee or the client, hey, this meeting's just about uh, this, this agenda item. It's kind of starting off like, hey, how's business, sales, et cetera, and then kind of dovetailing from that point, right? So being human basically and then saying, Okay, you know, the the real core of the meeting is now that we have this time blocked off for 30 minutes is, you know, these requested items. And the way I've also put it to staff members is we have what, what we call just kickoff meetings, and it's nothing other than um, – so the auditee doesn't know that it's really kind of a PBC kind of <laughs> request meeting. We say, hey, this is kind of your kickoff meeting. We just want to be um, on the same page for timelines, due dates, et cetera, and we just don't want to assume that you're you know, completely available or you don't have any other sets of auditors or other, other you know, deadlines. So we want to cover that in this meeting. Let's block off X number of minutes, what have you. And then we go into um, some of the more complex uh, request items, or sometimes it's a voluminous request item. So those those are the two major categories that I've told myself, like go through the, the higher, higher risk processes, and then within those processes, pick your, your top three request items that you know are very either complex to get, or maybe the auditee doesn't understand the, the core objective, just to make sure that we're on the same page with them. Um, so we only have a certain limited amount of time blocked off for the meeting. So we're not going to be able to cover 100%, let's say, of every request item in 30 minutes or an hour. So we should use that time as you know, very wisely, either super high risk, complex, um, or very voluminous, time-consuming, just to make sure that maybe there's something better out there, like you had stated earlier, where you found out through a group controller Hey, there was a better, you know, piece of evidence out there um, before that initial control that suited the same objective that you guys wanted. So um, I, I completely agree. It's just some of those things that you get caught up in your audit program and you're kind of knocking things out, and then you kind of forget those basic best practice items to to do this uh, a better approach. And I wanted to, to dovetail into kind of the overall underlining message, you know, that that I know you wanted um, our listeners to get to understand about the role of relationships in audit planning. Can you share with us your vision for that? 
Sure. Um, see, unlike Phil Mickelson and Martha Stewart, insider information is actually an auditor's best friend. Uh, you know, knowing what's going on in the business really adds to audit planning and allows you to, um, you know, basically create a better audit plan and then subsequent audit programs. You know, having that extra information really will key you in on the key areas that you need to look at during, you know, the year or during that particular audit. Um, you know, developing relationships, like you mentioned, is really critical just to, to, to basically getting, uh, you know, obtaining that, that kind of insider information that I mentioned. Um, and that's really kind of the focus I have for the, the, you know, the article. That's kind of what I really wanted to get across to people is really developing those relationships is really key. In my experience, you know, internal auditors have a tendency to kind of, you know, stay in their area and do, you know, do what the audit program says, but really don't venture out um, and try to develop those, those relationships. When I started the uh, internal audit practice here in my company five years ago, one of the things that I made sure that we did is really kind of, you know, get out into into the company uh, without that kind of internal audit stigma, you know. So you, you do things like you do a lot of the uh, community service activities and you join different groups and, you know, you can even do things like, uh, you know, join the golf league or you know, the fantasy football league, just something so, you know, people get to know you outside of that kind of internal audit role. And that way, you know, they get to know you on a different level and they're not always maybe intimidated by, you know, your title or what your function is within the company. And, you know, by doing that and developing those relationships, you really do uh, get uh, a lot of information that you wouldn't otherwise get just during, you know, you know, during, a, you know, a normal uh, audit or just by, um, uh, you know, talking to people uh, normally uh, or, you know, sitting in on a, on a business meeting. You know, so it's really key to getting that, that inside information that we're talking about. And having that information is what makes you a better auditor and what makes your, you know, internal audit shop be able to truly add value to the company. So it's like the, the roles of, of relationships in terms of it, it's um, – a matter of making that extra additional investment in, in outside of the internal audit department that's going to add a lot more value. Um, and it's really hard to measure because, like you said, I mean, if you are part of the company Fantasy Football League, you're part of the company's, you know, uh, community outreach efforts, et cetera. So the stigma of being just, a, a you know, the hall monitor or the internal cop, you're now, you know, a person that actually – people can get to know that there's something about you above and beyond just being part of the internal audit group, but they can say, you know what, this, this person has a job responsibility just like they do, and, and they're just trying to get the job done right. And therefore, you know, seeing uh, internal audit group members doing other activities with them, like just like a normal team member, it, it breaks down certain barriers of, gee, they're out to get me or they're out to find something negative about my performance. It's more of, no, they're just trying to make the company better. This isn't so much about my individual performance, but rather, you know, a bigger picture objective that, you know, the internal audit group is trying to reach. So I really like that about the article kind of dovetailing into, you know, the role of relationships and trying to remove some of that stigma by just being, you know, human and being part of the team in general. Um, I wanted to move on to, to something that's near and dear to internal auditors, which is risks. So I wanted to, to ask you, how do you, you know, what, what are some of the risks 
that auditors should be aware of when obtaining audit support? Yeah, so I'll just mention a couple things here, but and some of these are a little more obvious than others, but I mean, one thing, to, the main thing I guess to watch out for is what I'll call corrected information. A lot of times when you're making your request and you're selecting a sample of, you know, 15 whatever, you know, if the audit E is going to hand it to you, there's a good chance that they've already gone through it, particularly when we're talking about like SOX type work. Because everybody knows what exactly you're looking for. You're looking for a signature. You're looking for some kind of evidence or review. You know, so they already know that. And so there's, uh, you know, there's always that possibility if they're going through that information, reviewing it ahead of time, and, you know, correcting it. I remember when SOX first came out, it's probably back in 04, I was doing an audit, and a, a controller actually handed me a stack of 25-something and said, there's three errors in here. So she'd already gone through it. Now, luckily, she was an honest person, had integrity, and didn't change any of them, but she, you know, she already knew. She's like, there's three out of 25 issues on there. You know, we know it. We're already addressing it, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's something you got to watch out for because some people aren't as, you know, honest as, as that particular controller was. So that's the first thing I would watch out for. The second thing I look out for is what I'll refer to as filtered information. Uh, one of the popular sayings is, you know, don't give the auditors more than they've asked for. So, you know, you got to be careful in a couple things here. One, don't make your request so narrow that you're only going to get one sheet of paper with one signature on it. You know, if, you, if you're looking for a signed customer setup sheet, you know, maybe ask for the customer file opposed to just the setup sheet. That way you can look through, see what else is in there, see if anything else is, you know, uh, amiss. Um, also, if, if you're making requests and, and they're only giving you the bare minimum of information, you know, be aware of that. You know, they may not be trying to hide something, but they're definitely, you know, uh, maybe trying to, um, you know, divert your eyes elsewhere type of, uh, type of approach. So I would uh, encourage uh, your listeners to maybe make their requests a little broader so they don't get that, that kind of filtered information um, risk. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd mention here is misunderstood requests. And I think we've all, all had this where, you know, you uh, – you request one thing, you know, maybe you request a, a list of active projects for the year, but what you end up getting is a list of projects that were started during the year. So it's only a, you know, it's a slight misunderstanding of what you asked for, but you may only get half the population that you expected. So, you know, mis misunderstood requests is definitely difficult, particularly with, you know, internal auditors because, you know, our, we're so used to, you know, doing this and we know exactly what we want. And so there's always a, a chance that uh, the auditee, you know, this is the first time they're seeing it, they may have misunderstood, uh, you know, what you are requesting. So just be careful that you're, you're looking at that uh, pretty closely, uh, you know, after you, you receive it. But I'd say the bottom line is whenever you can, try to pull the information yourself. And that's kind of the best way to avoid a lot of these risks. So if you can get access to your ERP system or if you can get, you know, access to, you know, where the files are located originally, you know, try to pull out of that information yourself. Yeah, and just one quick story to add to that in terms of, you know, doing this yourself. We had a situation where we were making a recommendation. Um, this is during the process of, of auditing controls, and it was in the AP function, and one of the comments I, I had asked was, you know, can you make vendors you're no longer doing business with inactive in the accounting system, therefore locking down any just potential, uh, you know, checks and or other purchase orders being entered into 
you know, an inactive vendor? And the answer I got was, was no, you know, the system doesn't do that. And I thought, well, I know that package. That, that seems very odd. You know, I'm, I'm not a detailed worker bee in the accounts payable department, but I walked over to the account, uh, accounting manager and I said, hey, I, I just wanted to find out, you know, can we go into the module itself? Because, I, you know, this particular, you know, package is, is pretty darn sophisticated now. And, um, you know, the only package I, I can think of is, is QuickBooks that may not be able to do inactive vendors. And even now, today, it, it can actually do that. But here's the point. He and I were going through the module, and sure enough, as we were going through the different tabs, I, I saw a whole slew of other areas in the AP function for vendor setups. And there was, in fact, a, a, a checkbox. It was actually a tiny little box that, that could make a vendor you know, active or inactive. So he himself hadn't really thoroughly gone through. I think it was more of just avoiding um, an issue of a, you know, actually, actually implementing a recommendation that is a, pre a preventative, you know, fraud type of control. And I said, well, look, you know, I don't know how many vendors, you know, you could have thousands in here. I have no idea, but that's something that you guys want to consider because you can do this. It's just a matter of, you know, prioritizing your time, and that's something for you to kind of put together. I mean, I can't forced recommendations, but um, it was something very clear that seeing for myself, not only did we find inactive little checkbox available, right, but we, I, I was able to see a whole slew of other tabs related to vendor setups, and, and you can even limit to dollar thresholds. I mean, it was a whole new ball game after I saw that myself, but it was just kind of asking the question, saying, hey, I just want five minutes. And, and um, you know, it was just more of my my curiosity at that point kind of like, huh, that didn't make sense. I mean, usually these things actually have that functionality. So, um, well, Anthony, I wanted to uh, first and foremost thank you for making the time here. Um, it's been an insightful interview. Thank you again, Anthony, for being here with us. I appreciate you having me on. Great. And as a reminder, you can find Anthony J. Smith's article, Requests for Information, in the April 2014 issue of the Internal Auditor magazine, also found online at www.internalauditoronline.org. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.